another week, another podcast. <laughs> Hi, beautiful Kristen. Hello, gorgeous Natalie. I'm so happy to be here with you. I was having some thoughts of you this week. You were? Thinking of us being in Rome together oh. in August. And, uh, you know, it just brightened up my dreary day. <laughs> It's like the moment uh, that you want to have your soul lift. You can yeah. just envision yourself and your favorite people walking hand in hand. I was just having, I was having this moment where we had complimentary but not matching dresses. Yes. And we were standing in front of the Trevia Fountain with beautiful little euros. And we were making beautiful manifestation wishes and tossing them into into the fountain <laughs> that, yes I see that vision I also see us like on a patio somewhere with mm -hmm. like and there are beautiful flowers and there's cobblestone streets and there's very handsome Italian men walking by and mm -hmm. we sit and we have our sunglasses on and uh -huh. we have like a little glass of wine yes. and um and we sit with our menus and we just watch gorgeous men stroll by as we think about what pasta we're going to order that all of those things and then I had the vision of all of our podcast listeners coming with us. <laughs> can, can all of them come? Every single one. So if you're listening to this podcast, congratulations. You are one of the chosen ones. <laughs> you get to come and share this bread with us. We're going to break bread. We're going to share dreams. We're going to talk about the importance of standing for pleasure in a world that tells us that doing so is selfish or not essential. And we are going to talk about our right to our joy and our right to our desire and our right to the fact that our desire is the very thing that will actually activate everything else that we want in life. And that's why it was given to us. So any of us that feel like we're in a place that is stagnant in any way, uh, and I'm thinking about that because I taught create this week and we were talking about when you feel stuck or when you feel resigned or when you feel apathetic about life or just when you feel like things didn't go as planned and you don't really know where to go from here. There's this beautiful way that your desire is showing up in your life to say the, the where to go from here is already being revealed to you. It's being revealed to you through your desires. And so if you're not used to listening to that voice, or if you've been told that you should feel ashamed for listening to that voice, or that that voice, um, you know, makes you a, uh, I'm not sure, like all these things that the ego comes up to tell us of these reasons, these excuses of why that's not a good idea. Who are you to get that? Who are you to get that when their people are starving? Who are you mm -hmm. to get that when there are people in your family that need things? Like, mm -hmm. um, you know, there's these ideas that if we follow what is in our heart, somehow it keeps other people from being able to flourish. But actually, mm -hmm. as we stand for the desires in our heart, we take a stand to flourish and we show everyone it's possible. The thing is, you can only make your own life flourish. And the more you make your life flourish, then you have more to give to others. Yeah. So we're trying to encourage everyone to look inside their heart and see that desire is the voice of the, voice of the divine saying, I have big things for you but it's up to you to choose that you get to accept them. 
Absolutely. And so I think that what it brings up for us is a lot of shame and guilt. It shows us where we have some unworthiness. It shows us where we have some insecurity. It shows us where we have a lack of trust in something greater than ourselves. It shows us where we have a lack of trust in ourselves to be able to hold it or to handle it. Um, So really, the second you start talking about desire and pleasure, it's going to bring up all the places in you that feel like all the reasons you don't stand for desire and pleasure. So we invite you to come to a place that is so beautiful and romantic and enlivening and ancient and has ancient roots and foundations so that you can have a new moment in your life where separate from your day-to-day routine, you can be in the beauty of a new place and start to ask yourself some of these really transformative questions. So if that appeals to you, we would like to invite you to join us in Italy. We're doing a very special offering this month of June in celebration of beautiful Kristen's birthday. My birthday! The birthday girl herself is offering a really nice discount if anyone wants to sign up in the next few weeks, you can uh, come with us for a beautiful discount. So if you're interested in that, you can check out the createseries.com or pleasurearoundtheworld.com and maybe take a plunge. (laughs) Maybe just sign up and see what happens. Take a plunge (laughs) and some marinara sauce with us. (laughs) On that note, (laughs) I just got excited about Italy. I couldn't wait. I just got excited about the thought of us plunging into marinara sauce. Well, that's going to happen. I don't know if we've ever released the um, yogurt video of you in Greece. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> I don't there know if that might, one's for children. There might be a video of Kristen with a lot of yogurt on her body. We'll just leave it at that. In all the right places. <laughs> all right. So this week, ah, woo! <laughs> yogurt, uh, we are talking about mastery. Mm. Well, How I'm really excited that you brought this idea forth, Kristen, uh, because you, you were so enlivened about talking about mastery. And I thought, well, whatever we teach on, we usually incorporate into our lives. So this feels like a good idea. <laughs> well, I think it's because we all have a desire to know ourselves as masters. I think we came to this planet to show that we all have a zone of genius. We have a place where our spirit knows it came here to exemplify what we love most and to be a master at what we love most. And the thing about mastery is we all have that burning desire within to be that, but how do we get there? So basically Absolutely. the question is how to be a master. And like all things, there's a paradox involved. Hmm. So I got this book recently um, called Mastery by George Leonard, who actually teaches um, martial arts. He teaches uh, Aikido. Am I saying that right? Um, A-I-K-I-D-O, Aikido, a martial arts. But a lot of his philosophy of how one becomes a master was learning how to teach it. And he said that that really in in teaching it is how he learned a lot about um, how his students would uh, show specific patterns and he could almost tell um, who was going to walk in the steps of mastery and who was going to burn out. And he takes these concepts and he applies it to our romantic relationships, to our spiritual practice, uh, to how we practice our art or our craft. And 
because so many people come to us with these kind of questions, and I think we see a lot of these patterns, I thought it would be like a really cool thing to talk about to our listeners, especially because I'm just jonesing on it. And as I was reading it, I was like, I see myself. Oh, I see what I do. Um, Yeah. And I do think that sometimes the idea of mastery makes us feel like that's about ego mm. or we have so much feeling of insecurity where thinking of ourselves as a master just feels so far-fetched and there's almost a safety in always being the person who's well I'm just learning I'm just not there yet and and um I always say that when we perpetuate the story of not there yet it makes our dream not here yet right so it's this feeling of when we perpetuate the story of not ready, not enough, not whatever it is, then it's the antithesis of mastery because mastery is really saying, I have everything I need and whatever else I need, I'll be you know, wise enough or mindful enough to receive it in the moment I need it. Um, I always like the story that Michael Singer tells in one of his books, I think it was The Surrender Experiment, where he had to write some really big important test and he just couldn't bring himself to study because all he wanted to do was meditate. And so it was something like the day before the test. And this was like a huge test and he had this giant book that he was supposed to read. And he literally turned and opened to one page. He read one page of this book, was thinking to himself, there's no way I can learn everything I need to learn in the next 15 minutes. Shut the book, went to write the test. And something like I don't know how much percentage of the test was actually on that one page that he read. <laughs> yes, it was like an essay something and it was like specifically on that one page. And he's like, what? What? Well, you know, it's so funny. I think a lot of people, they, when they think of mastery, they think of it as um, a destination, a, a place I'll get to one day as opposed to mastery being a path. Mm. And George Leonard talks a lot about, um, you know, in this society, we are addicted to immediate gratification, right? He calls it the path of endless climax. I mean, listen, listen I mean, <laughs> if there was ever a path I wanted to be addicted to. <laughs> the endless climax path Sounds is the like one. Sounds like path for me, but I'll, I'll go with you. Yeah. <laughs> well, this is a quote from the book. He says, we're continually bombarded with promises of immediate gratification, instant success, and fast temporary relief, all of which lead in exactly the wrong direction. It's like we're all afraid of getting bored. We're all afraid of not feeling all of the high. So we're chasing the things that make us feel high, or he says, that make us feel accomplished. So if we think that we're creating progress somewhere, anywhere, we'll jump to wherever we, our ego feels like it's making progress as opposed to being able to stay the course of something. And really, wow. he talks about that mastery is being able to get on the path and to stay on the path. I love that. And also, it makes me think of how often we distract ourselves with these smaller, easier to achieve, more results-driven goals. And we actually spend our time doing those because then we get the hit, the satisfaction of the result or the accomplishment. And it actually distracts from our real purpose here on the planet, right? right? So, you know, if your purpose on the planet is to be a master at parenting, then it's not something you can figure out in year one and then just be done with it. It is something that that path is going to continue to evolve at every stage of your child's development and at every stage of you becoming a parent. But 
because that is such a long journey, it can be very, very easy to lose track of that uh, goal and that purpose and focus on something that brings more of an immediate result. Right. And we can always know what our path of mastery is because it's what we love most. So our heart is an indicator of what is for us. There's this Osho quote I found this week that I love it. It says, in this world, there is only one happiness, and that is to be yourself. So you can imagine this, what you are is the thing you love most. It's the thing that's for you. It's the thing that is your path. It's it's almost like you know who your romantic partner is because you love them. But Mm. that love is necessary to be able to get on the path and to stay on it. Without that emotion, you're not going to stay on it. So if you don't love your kids, you are not sticking around for 18 years when they're pulling all the stuff they're pulling. (laughs) That's exactly right. If you don't love your craft, you're not going to stay with it for all its ups and downs, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I, I really love that idea that results isn't about love. It is about feeding some sort of void that then makes us feel worthy of love. Mm. But once we know that we are worthy because love is actually what we are, then we can stop trying to prove it and just be it, just live it. Right. We want our, ac- our actions to be demonstrations of love so that when w- what we have chosen to dedicate ourselves to is the thing we love most, well, then now we've harnessed the most powerful force in the entire universe, love, so that all of universal intelligence is on our side in that direction. It's interesting. I have a few kind of examples of how this is coming up for me, and they're very different examples. Uh, One was, you know, as some of you know, I had an injury uh, about a month ago, and today was the first day I went back to spin class. And I love spin class. This is something Kristen and I do often and together. We have the best time and it's a whole ritual. And I just, I love the feeling of moving my body in that way and listening to the music and being with the people. It just feels fun to me. And it's something I haven't been able to participate in. And, you know, I've been really on the path of being at home and meditating and resting. But what's fascinating is that I have always been so results-driven with my relationship with spin class, where they have the place where you can put your name on the board. And I mean, if I wasn't number one, two, or three, it was like it wasn't a good class. And I was always just pushing my body so hard to try to get a certain number. And it's so fascinating because let's say there's 30 people in the class. Well, maybe 10 people put their name on the board. So it's even an illusion. Like what if I got second place on the board, but the 15 people (laughs) in class who didn't even have their names on the board might have had better numbers than me. So really, like it's it's completely... um, uh, uh, and, and it's like, it's so different depending on who's in class and who, like there's so many circumstances that why would one ever be so attached, attach their happiness to, you know, this certain uh, place on this board that is completely irrelevant, <laughs> you know? Um, so I was, I was saying to Kristen today, one of the very first things I said to Kristen is you are going to be so proud of me. I had a huge win today. And she said, what was your win? And I said, I went to spin class and I was last place. <laughs> and I was like, I've never been so proud of you. But really I said to Kristen, I said, Actually, I did say this. I said, that's spiritual mastery. Yeah. It, it's gross. spiritual master, mastery for me and my ego to take care of my body and say, 
I'm trying to learn how to negotiate my body in a new way. I don't want to re-injure my body. I want to be mindful that maybe my body didn't like that. My ego really liked being first, but maybe my body didn't like that. And, and I was saying to Kristen, I want to be in a relationship with my body where my body knows that it can trust me to take care of it. And because I've broken that trust so many times in the past with crazy diets or overworking or hustling too much or saying, well, I don't need sleep. I can just be on set another day. Um, just, Just really damaging my body because I'm so busy hustling to try to get somewhere that it's going to take time for my body to trust me again, that I'm going to be a good steward and lover and uh, take care of it. So there was something really profound about releasing the results and being so in love with my body that the position on that board became irrelevant. Mm, that's, that's huge growth. Well, it's interesting. So beautiful segue into the three different types that George oh, Leonard talks about. This is one of my favorite things that you shared with me. I am obsessed with this. So he talks about how there are three kind of like personality types and all of us are one of these three. And sometimes we can be these different types in different parts of our lives, right? So he says, as you know, he explains these as I explain them via him, um, look for yourself. So the first is the dabbler. Now, the dabbler approaches each new sport, career opportunity, or relationship with enormous enthusiasm. He or she loves the rituals involved in getting started, the spiffy equipment, the lingo, the shine of the newness. When he makes his first spurt of progress in a new sport, for example, the dabbler is overjoyed. But what happens eventually, right, and I'm jumping forward, is it says... His uh, enthusiasm quickly wanes. He starts missing lessons. His mind fills up with rationalization. This isn't really the right sport for him. It's too competitive, non-competitive, aggressive. Um, And that will apply also to a career or even in love relationships. So he says that that the dabbler is the person who specializes in honeymoons, right? Mm. So that that the dabbler is someone who, who has all of the energy at first and then whenever they hit a plateau or come up against hardship, they start to wane off, right? Um, I, think, I think of this as like uh, so many uh, people that I know who are like serial daters. Yes. Where the first three months are so amazing and like it could be the one. And then once you get to that phase where everyone's humanity is really coming to the table, it's yeah. like on to the next. Like the grass yeah. is always greener. Always. <laughs> I'm such a dabbler, especially when it comes. I'm like the like when I was reading, I was like, "This is me. This is me." Um, I especially with projects, I get so excited at the beginning of a new project. I'm like, "You've never met anyone with more energy or an enthusiasm." Like, I can get so excited, and then all of a sudden, when like the newness wears off, it's like I have to like go. What made me so excited about this in the beginning? Yeah. Um, and uh, so anyways, I, I saw well, myself. You're so good at that. a pitch. Like if you, yeah. you could pitch me, Natalie, I found a wine bar. Yes. And you'll start going into the pitch. And I'm like, I have my shoes on. Like, when are we going? <laughs> this are we sounds going? like the best place I've ever been to. <laughs> when I have an idea, there's nothing stopping me. Like, yes, it's like, yeah, it's yeah. so true. Yeah. That's so true. And then like next week, I'm like, oh, it's Wednesday. I forgot about that idea. Yeah, that's yeah. It's just who I am, right? Now, Love it. Here's the next one, the obsessive. The obs- I'm just going to tell everyone in advance, this is me. <laughs> <laughs> when I was reading this, I was like, 
uh, this is me. Oh, this one's Natalie. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> the, um, the obsessive is a bottom line type of person, not one to settle for second best. He or she knows results are what count, and it doesn't matter how you get them, just so that you get them fast. In fact, he wants to get the stroke right, just right during the very first lesson. He stays after class talking to the instructor. He asks what books and tapes he can buy to help him make progress faster. Um, and it says, so the obsessive starts out by making robust progress. His first spurt is just what he expected, but when he inevitably regresses and finds himself on a plateau, he simply won't accept it. He redoubles his effort. He pushes himself mercilessly. I can't say that word. Um, <laughs> so he says that basically what happens with the obsessive, and the same thing happens with the obsessive in, in um, in relationships that the obsessive lives lives for the upward surge the swelling background music the trips to the stars so and it says not not to be confused with the dabbler when the uh, ardor cools he doesn't look elsewhere he tries to keep up the starship going by every means at his command <laughs> gifts erotic escalation melodramatic robin uh, rendezvous um but basically what happens though with the obsessive is um, they'll make these spurts of upward progress, but it's always going to be followed by sharp declines. Mm. Um, a jagged ride is, is always going to be what is happening because you can't sustain. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Unsustainable. It um, almost makes me think of, uh, in positive psychology, they talk about how the unrelenting standard that always leads to failure. It's yes. like when you, set your, when you have this perfectionist, unrelenting standard, mm -hmm. the only thing it can do is you strive for it and can't achieve it, and then it makes you feel like a failure. So then you want to try harder to achieve even more, and then you can't. And It's like uh, one of my teachers says, an overachiever will overachieve at overachieving. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> yep, yep. That's right. Yep. And then- but the last one is the hacker. So it says, the hacker has a different attitude. After sort of getting the hang of a thing, he or she is willing to stay on the plateau indefinitely. <laughs> the skipping uh, stages essential to the development of mastery if he can just go out and hack around with fellow hackers. So this is like the person who, like, once they get the job, just is totally cool and chill with just hanging out, won't do yeah. the extra meetings, won't do the extra effort. And it says, um, the hacker looks at marriage or living together, not as an opportunity for learning and development, but as a comfortable refuge from the uncertainties of the outside world. Wow. Right? Yeah. I know those people. So, um, it's, and, he, and he says it's just important for us to be able to notice the ones that can be the trap for us to fall into because mm. once we can witness it, then it's easier for us to go, all right, mm -hmm. I see myself, I see where my pitfalls are, then what like adjustments must I make to grow in the path of mastery? Right, because the real thing is, is once you know where your opportunity to bail is, then you know that that's the gateway to either moving deeper into your mastery or deeper into your pattern. And yeah. your pattern is always going to keep you out of your mastery. That's it. And, um, and here's one of the things that I thought was really cool um, is he talked about the importance of being on the plateau. In fact, in mastery, we have to learn, he says, how to love the plateau. So not even like to tolerate it, but realize that most of the time in our craft, in our relationship, whatever it is, we're going to spend it in this plateau. Now we are hooked on wanting to see like huge growth. Am I going upward? But 
instead of it being like the steady climb up, he says what it's most is, is that we're kind of like trudging along or he uses the word plodding, like Mm -hmm. plodding along and that, that, that growth will come unexpectedly. We can't see it coming. Well, yoga talks a lot about this. It talks about how to create lasting change or lasting transformation. And it talks about the the path called vinyasa krama. Vinyasa is when you link one thing to another. So, you know, in a vinyasa yoga class, you're linking your breath with your movement. That's what makes a vinyasa class different. It's one breath, one movement. Uh, So vinyasa krama is the path where you're linking things together, but it's almost like the the slow and steady. It's not that climbing up a mountain thing. It's you change one thing, you take one step and you do it for a while. And after you've done that for a while, there's the next stair step to take. And then you get on that step and you stay there for a while. And over time, you've climbed the whole set of stairs. But anytime you try to just run up the steps or climb up the whole mountain really quickly, it's completely unsustainable. You burn out. You don't actually have the energy required. You don't actually have time to allow all of the inspiration and all of the depth of the process to actually be inside of you and be with you. Because the point isn't ever where we all end up. It's who we become in the process of going through it. So if we're always trying to rush to the result or rush to the top of Everest, then we lose the whole point of having climbed it. Yes. And here's a quote, and I love this. He says, you have to be willing to spend most of your time on a plateau to keep practicing even when you seem to be getting nowhere. So last night I'm at this party and I see our friend Alexandra Anthony, who has recently had a baby, right? And she said something to me last night. She started talking to me about her writing and directing. And she goes, um, so she has this beautiful son. And she's like, for the longest time, Kristen, when he was inside of me, he was growing in the dark. I couldn't see his eyes forming. I couldn't see his body forming. I couldn't see his hands forming. It was growing and developing in the dark. And she said, I think so much in my life with my writing and my directing, I've bailed because I, I couldn't see the growth because it was growing in the dark. But, wow. but with my child, he grew in the dark for nine months and then came out this fully formed human. And I was like, oh my goodness. I said, this is what we're talking about on the podcast tomorrow. Can I talk about it? And she's like, absolutely. And I was like, so how do we learn how not to bail when something's growing in the dark? I love that. And I really think how we not bail is by really shifting our focus on the integrity of the action and not the result that could come from it. Exactly. You know, that's something from the Bhagavad Gita that says we're entitled to our actions. We're not entitled to the fruits of our actions. You know, the way I think about that is, you know, just on a simple level, I'm entitled to eat well, to work out, to take care of my body. You know, I'm entitled to those actions, but I'm not entitled to the scale saying a certain thing because I'm doing those actions, right? I'm entitled to how it feels to do the actions themselves. Whatever comes from those actions, I'm not entitled to. We know we can predict if you do certain actions, certain things will happen, but there's always uh, there's always a give and take. There's always that sometimes things go a little different way. There's, there's always things that you can't anticipate. I do think uh, Pete Rollins has a cool way that he describes it. He talks about when we talk about the, the results or the fruits of the actions, he talks about it in terms of the sacred object. And I love this. He, he describes it as human beings 
fantasize a sacred object. So the sacred object is always the thing that promises everything we want. So I know so many people that are looking for love and it's like, there's always that perfect person that's the sacred object. And the perfect person is always some uh, made up thing that's far away. It's never like the person you're actually on a date with. <laughs> you know always, mean? yeah. Um, he, he describes it as always just over the horizon, but it promises what it can't deliver. Mm. So he describes it as it's like this big moment. It's like this big thing. It would almost be like an actor who's, thinking about winning the Oscar or, you know, someone who's again, thinking of like, wow, how great it's going to be when I'm finally a parent or when I find the love of my life, but then like real life happens and you know, the baby is peeing all over you or you and your partner don't communicate as well as you would like, or, you know, you, you get to the moment where you get the Oscar and then you find yourself in anxiety of like, I wonder if I'll ever get another one. Is this the end? Have I reached the pinnacle and there's nothing, nowhere to go from here? So it, it's this big thing that we invest all of our present moment reality in trying to get to. But then once we get to it, it always disappoints us and lets us down. Mm. Because the fantasy of it and the reality of it can never actually match up. So it's always a lose-lose because we're not present and grateful in the in the present moment because we don't have it. But then once we have it, it's not what we thought. And then we're unhappy. And, and then we're on to the next sacred object, right? So how often has something that you really wanted come to pass? And the second you get it, you're just on to the next thing. You're not even really excited or grateful or looking back and saying five years ago, I would have been so grateful to be where I am now. So he describes it as this cycle of depression and melancholy. Mm. Where we're always one or the other. We're either depressed, which is the state of being of not being with or having what we want, or we get what we want and it doesn't excite us and it doesn't fill the void and it doesn't do what we thought it was going to do for us. And then we feel melancholy. And then we're just always in that cycle oscillating between one of those two states. So we choose the sacred object instead of choosing that right now the process that I'm in, who I get to be is sacred, that I am actually the sacred object, that I am the thing that this whole universe is kind of designed around. And in my growth is the whole goal. So I become the sacred object. And when I, as the sacred object, am on a plateau, then sacredness is everywhere that I am. Yes. And that, that feeling of being sacred, right? That's like the equivalent of holding something with the highest love and reverence and devotion. And so George Leonard talks about as falling in love with the practice. Mm. The practice becomes something that we love doing so much. We bring so much of our hearts towards it that we love being there. It's not yes. trying to get somewhere else. And he yes. used this example of Larry Bird. And um, when Larry Bird was like at the top of his game, he used to show up for um, basketball. Uh, um, uh, I want to say rehearsal. I, I know. Practice. I was just going to say, say rehearsal. Practice. But uh, practice. He would show up for basketball practice two hours before everybody. But it wasn't because he like wanted to be the best player or he like had to win. It was actually because he just loved 
playing basketball. He loved practicing his free throw. He loved doing the drills. And that love is what motivated him. And that makes me think of you and I, how whenever we get together, whether we're at a wine bar, whether we're going for a walk in Central Park, whether we're on a train to Paris, whatever we're doing, you and I love to jam about spirituality. And long before this podcast came around, actually the reason this podcast came around is we said, what if we just recorded our conversations? Because we had them so often. And it was just the thing that lit us up and made us feel so good. But it wasn't for anything other than just the absolute joy it brought us to be in conversation with each other in that way. Yeah. It's so funny. It's like when we fall in love with the practice, we're falling in love with the divine in motion, right? And I think the reason most of us don't love the practice is the thing we've chosen to to devote ourselves to we don't actually love wow right we uh just maybe thought it was attainable or mm. we thought it was a quick way or as what a, we should do what we should do or what was a, expected of us as opposed to being brave enough to saying i trust that i live in a universe that would only ever want me to do what's in my heart the most and what i'm here to do right and so when I devote myself to that, it's also a demonstration of our faith. Yeah. It really makes me think, when you think of the really famous people who had such a level of what we would call mastery or success in their field, I don't think any of them were sitting around saying, I- I'm, I'm thinking about that person I'm going to be someday. You know, like, like the, when, uh, in Malcolm Gladwell's book, Outliers, where he talks about it takes 10,000 hours to become a master. Yeah. Uh, he talked about the fact that Steve Jobs happened to go to a, a school, a college, where the computer lab was open 24-7. And most colleges, like even the fancy ones, the computer labs closed at midnight. So he went to a, a quote-unquote lesser school but he was so excited because he loved computer code so much. He just stayed up all night, every night, and just did computers. But he wasn't doing it thinking, I'm going to open Apple and be Steve Jobs one day. He was just excited to be in relationship with computers. Yes. You know? Or uh, the Beatles, uh, Malcolm Gladwell talks about, they just happened to do the most shows it was something crazy. Like they just booked like a thousand gigs a year because they just loved playing music and doing gigs. And a lot of these gigs were for 30 people in a pub. Yes. It wasn't about becoming the Beatles. It was about the love of playing music. That's right. And, and so, so I think for so many of us, there's this feeling of, I want to be Meryl Streep one day, or I want to be the next great writer, or I want to be this, or I want to be that. But where is the devotion and the love of the craft? Mm -hmm. Because the people who are those people only became them because they were so in love with the craft that they didn't give a shit about becoming that person. (laughs) Yes. And there's the paradox again, right? So the path of mastery is the path of devoting ourselves to what we love. And so it gives us this ability then to like, let me look through my life and let me prune and edit and pull away all that is not what I absolutely love. Something that you and I have been saying to each other is Dharma is self-energizing. 
that when after you've worked on your dharma, you don't feel depleted. You feel yeah. like you actually have more to give. Yeah. You know? yeah. And so then it becomes very clear when you're working on something that is not your dharma, because all of a sudden you finish and you're like, I'm exhausted. Oh, oh, all right. Do you know what it makes me think about? I, for as long as I have known myself, <laughs> have loved three things very equally. And in no particular order, Celine Dion, <laughs> Beauty and the Beast, <laughs> and Paris. <laughs> oh, I love it. These are like the three loves of my life. Now, I also love spiritual teaching and I love being an actor, but they're mm -hmm. actually kind of secondary to those other things that I love. So there's something for me about uh, Celine Dion belting beautiful French music. There's something for me about Belle and her little French town and reading all of her books and being in her bliss. And there's something about Paris that I just love so much. And this year was the year that we just, I just decided I just wanted to be in Paris. So I've gone to Paris now uh, twice this year and I'm about to go for a third time because I just thought, well, whatever I'm in love with, that's what I should do. And it's fascinating how all of a sudden I'm booking jobs left, right, and center instead of the actor's way of sitting at home waiting for your agent to call, hoping you get an audition and always wanting to be super available and not want to take any time off in case you miss an audition. I've just gone, well, I just love Paris so much that I would just rather be there than sitting waiting for a phone call. So I'm just going to go to Paris, but it's fascinating because I'm really having like the biggest year of my life bookings wise, and I'm never in New York. <laughs> right. Well, actually, when we feed our hearts with what we love, it feeds also our path to mastery. It's so funny. I always feel like the three things I love most are uh, God, sex, and musical theater. And when <laughs> yes. those, that's just what I love. Yes. And when those three intersect, like, when we I'm have something doing, when I'm doing a sexy musical theater show where I also feel like there is the uh, uh, a spiritual uh, offering inside of it. There's there's the uh, uh, the divine being exchanged with the audience. Mm. And I'm in my bliss. Yeah. And I think it's being brave enough to say I get to do what I love and I get to do it with my love really publicly. Yeah. I think many of us are shy when it comes to expressing our love and our devotion. We're shy to say out loud, I really love this thing and I'm really going for it because there's so many naysayers. But what we can know about the naysayers is the naysayers are not brave enough to be in the arena with what they love. Yeah. And it's why they want to tell you not to do it either. So it's our job as teachers and leaders and healers on this planet to say, oh, I know that you're naysaying because you're afraid and I'm afraid too, but I'm just going to go in the arena and I hope that proves to both of us what's possible so that you feel the permission to do what you love too. Yeah. May I be brave enough to stand for what I love. There's a beautiful Vincent van Gogh quote that says, it is good to love many things for therein lies true strength and whoever loves much performs much and can accomplish much. And what is done in love is done well. Ooh, that, that may have to be a new quote that sits at the top of my computer. Yeah. I thought you would like that one. Yeah. Um, here's, here's a, here's, 
one last one from George Leonard to, uh, to bring our beautiful podcast to a close. It says, practice the path of mastery exists only in the present. To love the plateau is to love the eternal now, to enjoy the inevitable spurts of progress and the fruits of the accomplishment, and then to serenely accept the new plateau that waits just beyond them. To love the plateau is to love what is most essential and enduring in your life. Wow. To love what is most essential, that feels beautiful. That may be if we can learn to love all of the stages of process, then, then we will learn to love ourselves in all of our stages. And it almost reminds me of nature. If, if nature was always grumpy when it had to be winter and only happy when it got to be summer, then uh, you know, that would affect all of us on a really profound level. So thankfully, nature is just always wherever it is and never needs it to be any different and is always accepting of the journey and the process exactly as it is. And so I feel if nature can do it, then so must we. Then so must we. Oh, well, I hope everyone has a great time falling in love this week. And I think that the calling is how can you stand for love, for the love of your actions, for the love of your process, wherever it is, if it feels stuck, if it feels moving, if it feels on a high, if it feels in a plateau, wherever it feels right now, can you embrace loving it, really loving it, really celebrating it, really being excited for where it is? And if you find that you're not able to do that with wherever you are, then that is such valuable information because it will lead you to where you're supposed to be. That's it. And can I also offer that if you find that there's something in your life that you're not absolutely in love with, may you have the courage to let it go so that what you truly love can thrive. Right. Right. Patanjali, the the famous yogi of the Yoga Sutras says, do your practice and all is coming. So may we be brave enough to stand in the practices that we love, in the relationships that we love, with ourselves, with love. And can we stand for that as essential? It's the only game we're playing. And guess what? It's all coming. It's all coming. It's all coming. (laughs) Yay. Well, thank you. Thank you for listening to this beautiful talk on mastery. It's been so fun to share these insights with you all. And thank you as always for tuning in and giving us your minutes and your time. And if you have podcast ideas for us, or if there's something you would like to talk to us about, or if you have questions for us, we would love so much to hear from you. We don't just say that. We really do love to hear from you. Um, And we have this great Create Community Facebook page. And we would love for you to come and join it and tell us who you are and give us your ideas and your thoughts. Or you can send us an email so you can check out www.thecreateseries.com. You can join our mailing list and get our email address there. You can also find out there all of the offerings that we have for you. We have, in addition to this podcast, some really cool online courses, our trip to Italy that we mentioned before, so many fun, exciting things. We would just love to share it with you. Oh, that's right. And you <laughs> take today and use it as a time to express all that you love, knowing that we love you very, very deeply. We love you. Have the best day. Have the best day ever.